national security, deportation, build the wall. Immigration is no new issue to the public debate, but in a world seemingly defined by polarization, we hear contradictory updates. The president has done more to secure the border and to deal with this issue of immigration than anybody else. He really has. We want to do this in a bipartisan way. Republicans refuse to do that. It's a disgrace. The laws are so bad. Democrat-backed policies have left our borders overrun, our detention facilities overwhelmed, and our hospital, schools, and public resources overburdened. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. So what's really going on? Have Christian charity and compassion been hijacked? To get to the bottom of this thorny issue, we are pleased to be joined by Mark Morgan, the former acting commissioner of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection in the Trump administration. Welcome to the Edify podcast, Mark. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Thanks, Mary. I appreciate you guys having me. So, Mark, you've said that we can't start talking about immigration until we start talking about national security. What do you mean by that statement? Yeah, Mary, I tell you, this is one of the most fundamental aspects of where I really feel people are completely misunderstanding what's happening. There's a difference between what's happening on our border, border security, which is synonymous with national security, and immigration. Those are two separate things. But what's happened, especially under this administration and open border advocates across this country, they want to convolute the issue. For example, they want to remove the word illegal from illegal immigration because what they want to do is make everything that's happening on our southwest border about immigration. Because then if you're against what's happening on our southwest border, you're against immigration. And if you're against immigration, you're against brown people. And if you're against brown people, you're a racist. That's the narrative. And that really starts the, the domino effect of our compassion being hijacked. This is legal immigration is a separate issue. And it's a separate discussion from border security, which in large part is being driven by illegal immigration. Right. So they're very distinct issues. Very and distinct. I think, you know, yeah, it's been very interesting to watch all of this unfold, especially in recent months because of the huge influx in primarily Venezuelan immigration, um, illegal immigration, uh, economic yep. migrants yep. coming over the border. And, um, and, you know, and people do have compassion for them. They are fleeing a very, very bad government in a very badly run country. And so no one can fault them for that. But when um, the the cities that are receiving them and the states that are receiving them cannot accommodate the vast number that are coming in, and I think more importantly, to your point about national security, they aren't able to distinguish who is here simply because they want a better life for their families and for themselves, which everybody can understand, and are who, who are here to do the American people harm. And when you were in your position, did you have ways and means by which you could help detect that? Or is it detectable? Yeah, it is. And one of the best ways you can detect it is reduce the massive amount of the flow of illegal immigrants, right? So so when you literally open your borders, like this administration has, they've told the entire world, if you come to our borders, you're, you're going to be released into the interior of the country. And, mm-hmm. and illegal aliens from 180 different countries have heard that call. There's only 195 recognized countries in the face of the planet. We've encountered people from 180 of them. And so, Mary, the, the challenge is, is when you have, now it's nearing almost 8 million in the past 36, 37 months, 
Every aspect of our system is overwhelmed. So you start with right. that premise right there is that we're completely overwhelmed. And so we're not able to, to actually one, detect and apprehend everybody. We talked about the 1.7, near and 1.8 million known gotaways, those who evade apprehension. And we know among them, look, not, not everybody is bad, but not everybody is good. And I think that's the mm -hmm. frustrating part too with the liberal media. They're only telling, telling the American people a small slice. They're intentionally omitting the totality of the circumstances. And while the majority of the, 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 those coming illegally are, are, are decent people, there are still many that are not. There are murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, gang members, and potential national security threats that are coming across our border every single day. And Mary, if, if I could too, it's important because I think this goes to the heart of, of, of our compassion, which I think is one of the, the greatest elements that makes our country one of the greatest countries on the face of the planet. But here's the problem. To, to, to the, the perception to you think you're addressing one issue if you're causing a, a complex series of additional issues tenfold worse than the one you think you're uh, uh, solving, is that the right way? Of course not. Right. And that's what we're doing. When you facilitate and look the other way for illegal immigration, the jeopardy that you're posing to our safety, our health, and national security is exponentially increased. That, that mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to me. And the other thing, too, a lot of people don't understand is that when we say the overwhelming people coming, as you said, Mary, you're spot on, they're economic migrants. Guess what? That's not a valid asylum claim. Asylum is, is for a narrow subset of individuals who are the victims of state-sponsored persecution because of their involvement in a protected class, like religion, for example. If you're just wanting to, 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 to climb the economic ladder or have better economic conditions, that's not a valid asylum claim. And so that's the challenge that we have. So it's, this is about illegal immigration, which pulls resources off the front line, off our national security mission, and threatens every aspect of our nation's safety and national security. Yeah, you know, it's it's very interesting, Mark. I live in Chicago, and we have now, at last count, probably close to 22,000 Venezuelan, my, uh, large, about 95% of them are from Venezuela, migrants here, who, you know, it's interesting when the, you know, the mainstream media interviews them, they say things like, and I don't have any reason to believe this isn't true, like, we were a promise that when we came here to Chicago, we would have apartments and hot meals every day, and jobs would be waiting for us. And instead, they're sleeping on the floor of O'Hare Airport. You know, we have hundreds of migrants at O'Hare, um, thousands that are staying now in tents in the park. And it's getting, it's winter in Chicago now, and it's 20 degrees at night. And the Chicago police put out a bulletin to all of its police departments warning that some gang members, some known Venezuelan gang members are now here and now are operating in Chicago who came through, you know, to your point, with people who are simply seeking a better life economically. And they can't tell who's good from who's bad. But what's troubling is that the, the large majority, there are women and children, but the large majority are single men in their 20s and early 30s. And I, 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 I am concerned about other groups kind of merging in with them and coming in along with them. You know, for example, you know, members of Al Qaeda. And I, I don't think that's crazy talk to think Stop. that they might kind of assimilate into the group and come in. Have you heard anything about that kind of concern yeah. in, from your former colleagues? Yeah, so remember, I also spent 20 years in the FBI, and one of my assignments, I was a special agent in charge of the FBI's division on El Paso. I actually lived and worked in the border uh, for two years. You know, from my office window, you could see Juarez, Mexico. 
Um, I, I, I oversaw a counterterrorism investigation as well. Maria, this goes to the heart of the issue. What I'm saying is how the media is painting a very narrow picture and they're intentionally omitting key aspects of what's happening on our border from the American people for them to f- make a f- informed decision about actually what's happening. And, and what you're talking about goes to the heart of the national security issue. Let me give you just a couple of stats. In the past 36 months, we've apprehended just at the southwest border over 285 illegal aliens trying to Ill- enter our country illegally that are on the FBI's terror screening database. In addition to that, we've apprehended tens of thousands of what we call special interest aliens, SIAs, that come from countries that we know harbor, sponsor, and facilitate terrorism. So think about that. And by the way, the 285 that we've apprehended on the terror screening database, that, that's more than the past 10 years combined. And so we keep, keep those numbers in perspective because that's what we've apprehended. Now let's go back to the one point, almost 1.8 million known gotaways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to be a border security expert, just, just common sense, right? right? If we've apprehended that many, the law of averages says there's, there's a lot that have gotten through. And I, I often remind people it only took 13 terrorists to carry out the worst terrorist attack that our homeland has ever seen. So people ask me, Mary, hey, so do you think the threat is coming? And I say, no, I think it's already here. And we just recently, the director of the FBI, under testimony, has said that the the wide open southwest border poses a significant national security threat. DHS has put out reports saying the same thing. Uh, A local CBP uh, office in San Diego put out the same thing. Uh, The director in his recent testimony also talked about that the war in Israel uh, carried out by a terrorist organization, Hamas, has absolutely increased the, the national threat that we have in our homeland as well. I mean, and there could be, you know, terrorist cells in every major city in this country. And it sounds, you know, like you're in some kind of Tom Clancy novel, but it could actually, actually be true. And this is what I say a lot of times too, is, is I say after 9-11, I actually believe we're in some ways we're more vulnerable now than we were pre 9-11. We've done, this country's done a lot of good, a lot of good stuff, improving our intelligence capabilities. We've, we've closed and hardened some, some vulnerabilities we had, especially in the airways. But when you, when you look at our Southwest border, our border is more porous and open than it was prior to 9-11. You know, my mom and dad emigrated here from Scotland, and my dad uh, had to wait for two years in Canada before he could come into the U.S. He had to prove he had a job, and he had to prove he had a sponsor. So he had to do both of those things before he could come in. And what I'm noticing, it, it, and you can talk to people in the Black community here, first-generation Mexican-Americans who are here, or Ukrainians, they're very, very resentful of this new wave that's coming in because you you get the sense like, listen, first of all, especially in the black community, there's going to be a flashpoint. I don't. I think in New York and Chicago are going to be the two key sources for this because the the resources for the black community are being displaced for the migrant communities that are coming in. I mean, you know, uh, park districts being shut down, and you know, I I mean, again, I I understand it from a humanitarian perspective. We have to put these people somewhere. You know, they can't be sleeping at O'Hare Airport. But it's been interesting to see the real friction that now exists between very recent immigrants. I'm talking within the last, you know, one generation and the new immigration that that's coming in. Did you see any of that when you were in your previous position? Did you? Is this something the government would be keeping tabs on? Yeah, uh, tabs specifically on what? 
Well, like uh, uh, the tensions growing between the two communities, because yeah. I can see this becoming a real public safety issue. A absolutely. Uh, that there well, are tensions between recent immigrants and yeah. these new immigrants. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you have the volume you see right now. Absolutely. I, I, what, what I can say is I didn't see that under the previous administration because we didn't have the volume we have right now. In fact, right. look, and this is just fact. Under the Trump administration, we had reduced illegal immigration to a decade's low. Um, by February of 2020, we had reduced illegal immigration by 85%. We were putting more yeah. resources back on the, the, the border. So the, the answer is, is not to deal with the crisis after we've already allowed it in the United States. Our, our focus should be a proactive, preventative approach to actually deter and reduce the flow of illegal immigration. Mary, we, we have hundreds and hundreds, of, a couple of billion people around the world that would love to come to the United States. That's just not reasonable. It's not sustainable. Now, we, we are, again, as part of the most compassionate country in the world, we're giving hundreds of billions of dollars to countries all over the world to help their economic growth and development, including all three central uh, um, uh, in northern triangle countries. We did that right. under the Trump administration. It was done under the Obama administration and the administration before that. That really should be our efforts. The other thing that people forget about, every year, including under the Trump administration, we swear in about 800,000 to a million migrants to be legal citizens in the United States. And so when I talk to migrants throughout the world, including Chicago, and I do, they're resentful. The ones that came here and did it lawfully, they're angry and they're resentful. There's a, yeah. there's a fundamental fundamental fairness. So you want to talk about a Christian aspect and fundamental value and a compassion. What about those that actually did it the lawful, correct way, and now they're having these individuals jump in front of the line? The other issue is uh, Americans. I mean, right now, when you have 8 million, which they've allowed in over half of those, plus the 1.8 million known gotaways, you're, they're competing against an already marginalized workforce for jobs. Uh, mm -hmm. th so the, the boiling point is is real. I talk to people from Chicago on a regular basis, and I hear the exact same thing. And so it's not just it's not just a a national security issue. It's not just a safety issue. It's also an economic issue. And there have been reports just recently. Uh, Mark Green, uh, the chairman of the House Homeland Security, just published a, a fourth uh, report out of a series of five, where he said that uh, it, it costs taxpayers approximately almost a half a trillion dollars to support illegal immigration. Yeah, it's it's it, the numbers are just you can't wrap your head around them because they're so big they're they're almost you know um, incomprehensible. But the, you know the other interesting part is when we when the the war in Ukraine first started when Russia invaded Ukraine and um, Chicago has a big Ukrainian community, so we took in a multitude of refugees. And people are saying, well, everyone in Chicago was so welcoming of the people of Ukraine. And there's some real distinctions. First of all, there was a Ukrainian community here already to receive people. They had relations or relations of relations or friends of friends, but somebody who would be able to help them assimilate, A, and B, they were fleeing war. I mean, these are children and, and women largely who were coming. The men stayed behind to fight. It was the, it was the vulnerable that we were receiving here and everybody was on board to to want to help them. And I'm not saying that people here aren't trying to be kind to, you know, the Venezuelans who are here. Everyone is, but 
it's a, it's a, you can't even compare the two because the reasons that they're here are so distinct. Yeah, I, I agree, Mary. I, everything you just said, the, the moral equivalency is not there, right, Mary? It's, it's, it's just not there. And, 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 but let me back up here. And this, this may be something where we, we start to get into some touchy areas again because of the compassion. What I'll say, even with the Ukrainians, right, is here's what the international standard is, and here's what history would tell us. If you really wanted to be compassionate, when you take somebody, you really should be looking to settle them in a geographical region, right, that is consistent with their culture, their language, and their job skills. And so that's why areas like Poland and other countries in that area really should be the ones to be stepping up to take in the majority of the Ukrainians. Because at the end of the yeah. day, the goal should be, once that war is over, that they're going to go back to their country, right? Because they have the same pride in their country that we have in ours. And so right. that's another issue we don't talk enough about. And again, though, when we talk about those individuals that are economic migrants looking for a better life, uh, keep in mind, uh, what people don't understand is many of these migrants have lived outside their country for a long time. For example, in Brazil, there are many uh, migrants from, from many countries that have gone and traveled to Brazil. They're doing pretty good. They're doing okay. And they've had jobs and they're safe and secure. But that's not the goal. The goal is to come to America. And so that's what I mean. This is a very complex issue of which, unfortunately, the American people are, to a large degree, being force-fed uh, misinformation and, quite frankly, just flat-out lies uh, from this administration and open-border advocates with respect to the real issue. And again, you, you know, I, I was when I was commissioner, I, I traveled to all three Northern Triangle countries. We were given those countries hundreds of millions of dollars to, to, to support their security infrastructure, to support uh, their ports of entry, to, to, to support the more development coming in and corporations from outside to help their economic growth and development. That's the kind of things that as a United States that we should be focused on. That's a very interesting perspective. And, you know, I know that a lot of Polish families have taken in Ukrainian migrants. And, um, but as you say, the end goal for many of them is to get to America. I mean, they're perfectly happy to be safe in Poland or in Romania or wherever, but the, the end goal is the U.S., which I think is the case for, you know, the, the, the number of other migrants. But so uh, let me just touch on something similar. What's your perspective on family immigration policy? So some say that the definition of family should just be spouses and then those spouses, minor children. So a nuclear biological intact family and not siblings or elderly parents or married adult children, any of that. Um, that would lower just having those particular restrictions would lower the burden on the system. Um, do you do you agree with that particular set of restrictions? Well, well, what I would say is is under this administration, though, Mary, it wouldn't because it doesn't matter. Yeah. This administration is letting everybody in. Uh, so right. it doesn't matter what the definition of the law is. They're not abiding by the law. And so if, if you actually enforce the law, I think the current definition is, is, is satisfactory. Because again, if somebody wants to come to the United States lawfully, right? It doesn't matter whether they are a biological parent or an uncle or any of the other definitions, right? Because they will go through the lawful process to gain entry. So what right. you're talking about is when somebody comes to our country illegally and undocumented. See, that's what a lot of people don't understand is the reason why we have those very narrow restrictions is because 
95% of who we're coming in contact with, one, are entering illegally, and two, they have no documentation. We have, we have no, no idea way. who they are. Right. right, right. So we have no way of proving whether they're a parent or a, a distant cousin or an uncle. It's very, very challenging. That's why in the Trump administration, we actually uh, uh, um, um, uh, forward deployed a robust DNA, uh, rapid DNA process so that we could actually determine fake families. That's something a lot of people don't realize because families at the time were, that was your Willy Walker ticket. It was your automatic passport in the United States if you came as a family. So there were actually grown men that were renting and buying kids to form a, form a fake family to enter the United States. So we started doing DNA, by which, guess what? This administration stopped that program. So, Mark, I, I have the privilege of serving on the board of a pregnancy center in the Chicago area, and we have two maternity homes where um, expectant moms can live with us for as long as they need to. And we do have a migrant who entered, who went across the Darien Gap by herself, and um, she was held in captivity because um, the cartel wanted wanted her child. They were waiting for her to give birth. She managed to escape. It's a very dramatic story. And it sounds like, you know, something from a movie. Um, but they want, they wanted access to her child, which really puzzled me. Um, but when we were sort of getting to know each other prior to this interview, you were telling me that this would not be an uncommon scenario, buying and selling children. Can you explain that a little bit for the listeners? Yeah, Mary. And again, this again goes back to the heart of our compassion has been hijacked. And I really feel if American people fully understood one example we're talking about right now, they would join shoulder to shoulder with me to shut down the border. Although I haven't heard of that, that specific story you've mentioned, that's not out of the realm of possibilities, in my opinion. And I'll give you an example why. When I was commissioner, there, there was a, uh, uh, I'm sorry, when I was chief of the Border Patrol, uh, there was a 51, 51-year-old Honduran man that actually bought an infant from the mother. Right. And why? Why was this happening? Because at the time, because of a really bad lower court judicial decision called the Floor Settlement Agreement, if you entered illegally into the United States as a family, we could not detain you while you're going through your process. You had to be mm -hmm. released. That was part of the catch and release program. And so what they said, the cartel said, hey, look, single adult male, you want to get in, you pay us enough, we'll get you a kid. So not only were kids literally being sold to former fake family, but then they were also being rented. And so a big scheme developed. So they would rent a kid. So a single adult male would rent a child, get across the border. A lot of times, because no documentation, we had no idea who to prove who they were. They were successful. They would enter. Then the male would just be lost somewhere in the United States. They would send the child back to Mexico, recycle, re-rent, rinse and repeat, and do it again. I mean, you, 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 it's, Mary, it's like you said, it sounds like a movie, but I promise you, it's not. It's real. And that's why, that's why uh, we really deployed uh, an intensive capability to start doing rapid DNA. And we started discovering an unbelievable amount of fake families. And, and again, like so many other policies that this administration dismantled, they stopped testing DNA. So, Mary, I promise you right now, there are kids that are being rented and sold right now coming across our border because they know that's going to be their ticket in the United States. And this administration took away the one thing that could actually prevent that. I mean, knowing what was being done to these children, why? What could possibly be their motivation? Because I don't see it as a way to ingratiate themselves 
with, you know, the, the immigrant community here, because as I mentioned, if there's anything this is causing, it's resentment between people who came here legally and people who are coming in illegally. It's anger and resentment, not jealousy, but just resentment, you know? So what could possibly be the motivation for taking away this DNA testing? Can you try and explain this to I, me? I can, and here's a very good question. Th this is the question, but you could ask, and we need to ask the same question. Well, then why are they allowing open borders where we've had 8 million come in, where we know 30% of the young women and children are sexually assaulted and raped on the journey up here, Mary? Why would any country in the world, Mary, we are literally now facilitating, and our government has, has, is complicit in the world's largest smuggling operation going on right now at our southern border. Southern border. Why, why would we allow that? We know, I can't tell you how many sheriff's deputies, uh, how many border patrol agents have interviewed a 14-year-old or a 12-year-old that recounted how she was raped multiple times on the journey. How a 12-year-old, they were going through her backpack and a bag of pills dropped out. And they asked, what was this? She goes, these are morning after pills that my mother gave to me because they were anticipated I would be raped. I mean, I could go on and on with these stories. Why would any country do this? And at the end of the day, this is hard for me to come to a conclusion, but it just, nothing else makes sense because remember, the, 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 the Hispanic community that came here lawfully is different from those that came here illegally. So what, mm -hmm. what this administration sees in the open border advocates is a perceived political benefit on two fronts, right? One is, remember, illegal aliens are counted part of the census. So there's a very real redistricting of House seats in the Democratic favor. The second tranche of that is that the Democratic Party believes a perceived benefit that every illegal alien they find a pathway to citizenship is going to equate to a Democratic vote. I think they're right on both of those. And then the last thing that I'll say, I've worked for the government for 40 years, six administrations, both Republican, Democrat. Both sides have their political agendas, right? But what I've never experienced is an administration like this one where you have this intense political agenda and the convergence of ideology. And the ideology is pure open borders, right? Yeah. That we should not have any demarcation line with respect to our borders. So you have the political uh, appointees and political agenda converging with the ideologues that believe in open borders. That's what's driving our national policies. I mean, I, I guess I'm searching in my mind, it, thinking it has to be more complicated than that, right? It has, it can't be, it couldn't possibly be that simple. But it, you know, I haven't heard any other explanation um, more significant than what you've said. It seems to really actually just be that simple. I, I think it is. I, I think the, I think the cause and solutions are not complicated. What's happening is complicated, but how it's happening and why is not. And, and, and Mary, we, we talked about it before, but think about this. In the past 36 months, 2,000 dead migrants. Yeah. 2,000. And that's just the number of dead migrants that Border Patrol has recovered. That doesn't mm -hmm. count the, the number of migrants recovered from local police departments along the border. It doesn't include right. the migrants that died in Mexico on the journey. It doesn't include the migrants that died in the Darien Gap, one of the most inhospitable, uh, uh, right. you know, cartel-laden areas in the face of the planet. I, I mean, it's think about this. October 7th, you know, it was under 1,400 Jews that died, and there is a war going on, and they're trying to wipe Hamas off the face of the planet, which I fully support. We've had 2,000 migrants die in the past 36 months. I, 
you know, we, we have a war on our southern border and it's against the cartels. The cartels yeah. every day are profiting from what's going on and they're laughing all the way to the bank. They, they have grown from 2018 just on the human trafficking alone and human smuggling. It was about $500 million uh, uh, annual business, $500 million. Now it's 13, 14 billion. I mean, right. this is, I mean, we have migrants. We, we, we know drugs are pouring in this country. Last year, 112,000 Americans died from drug overdose and poisoning. We know that criminals, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, gang members, national security threats are pouring in our country every single day. I defy anyone to tell me one single downside to securing our border. It's, it's absolutely mind boggling. And, you know, one of the things in your excellent uh, Edify video and listeners will link to Mark's video in the show notes below is your mention of the fentanyl coming yeah. across the border and how even a small amount of that could kill scores of um, Americans, citizens or, you know, resident aliens or what have you. In fact, one of the I think more difficult edify interviews we've ever done here was with Rebecca Kessling, who lost two Rebecca. of her sons. I know. I've talked to her. Yep. You know, what a difficult conversation to get through with her. Can you tell us a little bit about what's driving, you know, given how lethal fentanyl is, is it coming in specifically to kill Americans? I mean, what could, what could the possible upside be is if, if virtually anybody who touches it dies? Yeah. So first of all, I got to say, Rebecca, I got to say, she, she's one of my heroes. Um, mm -hmm. I watched her testimony, and this is one of the misconceptions out there. Uh, when you think of all drugs, people just think of, 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 of drug addicts, of, of addicts. And so uh, one of the, 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 the Democratic witnesses during the testimony was talking about addiction and how, how part of the problem is in the United States, we have this insatiable appetite for drugs. And she stopped and cold. She had a tear running down her face. And she looked at him and looked at uh, the, the, the other congressional members of the panel and said, let me, let me make something clear. My 14-year-old and 12-year-old boys didn't have an insatiable appetite for fentanyl. Right? right? They weren't drug addicts. Right. They were good kids. They thought they were taking a single harmless pill that unbeknownst thought, to them was yeah. laced with fentanyl. They thought it was Xanax or something. Yeah, they exactly. thought they were buying right. Xanax. Right, yeah. exactly. I think you're right. And so that's what it's about. And that's why it's so important that we can't call these overdoses. These are poisonings. These are right. good. The leading cause, 18 to 45, is fentanyl. The majority of these people are good, upstanding people. Made one mistake. They took a pill that was unbeknownst to them and they died. That's not addiction. Uh, that's not poison. So, so all the programs that people talk about, you know, here, addiction programs that would do nothing for the majority of people dying with fentanyl because they're not addicts, right? But what's driving the cartels to bring fentanyl in if if what it's doing is killing anybody who comes near it? Like, because is it is it to frighten the American people? Nope. Is it sending a message? Are the cartels sending a message to other gangs here? Tell me what's going on. No, because believe it or not, even though it's killed 100,000 Americans, you know, in a 12-month period for the past three years, that's just a drop in a bucket. Right. So they don't care for, for the cartels. It's all about money. And fentanyl is by far cheaper to to manufacture and produce than heroin. It's a better high than heroin. And again, the price, they can push it across at a much lower price than any other opioid that they're pushing across. And so the one thing that I will agree with some of the, the, the folks uh, that, that are talking about the insatiable appetite, that is true. So we do have this 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 insatiable appetite for drugs in general, right? But again, even though we're losing 100,000 Americans per day, that's a drop in the bucket. It's not making a difference. Okay, so it is part of the overall opioid uh, crisis. Yeah, ab absolutely, because they're making synthetic drugs and they're putting lace and fentanyl in there. But the, the, the issue is, is that it, it, until... 
unfortunately, until we, the, the, the deaths get to such a, a crazy uh, a number uh, that it starts actually impacting their profitability, nothing's going to change. But right now, even 100,000 deaths a month is not enough to stop the demand coming across the border for fentanyl for the cartels. So they're, I, I would not say that I believe they're trying to intentionally kill anybody. I just say they don't care. They're making yeah, they money. Yeah, they, they don't just, care who dies, right? They don't care who dies, right? And right now, even though 100,000 people a, a year are, are dying, that's not stopping the flow of the synthetic drugs coming across. So it's just like collateral damage, Correct. right? It's, Correct. Okay. So, and are, tell me, are they working with the street gangs in the United States? Is this a is this a dual thing between the gangs here, or do they have their own operations set up here? Hence, the need to get people over the border illegally to run the illegal operations yeah. here. Both. So, when I was in the FBI, actually in, in Southern California, I supervised the MS-13 gang task force. So, the gangs across the the country, and now it's even getting more sophisticated. There there are organizations that that I wouldn't say I would call a gang. That that all operate as the drug distribution arm for the cartels, right? Okay. So it is extremely sophisticated. I always say the cartels could teach a, a business class at Yale, at Harvard, uh, with respect to flexibility and resiliency. They are that right. sophisticated. That's not hyperbole. And, and right. a lot of people think that the Mexican the Mexican cartels only operate in Mexico. That's just not true. They operate throughout the entire Western Hemisphere. And think about this: they are working with China. Right? right? So we know China, the, the fentanyl precursor chemicals come directly from China to Mexico. And the cartels right. take it, make synthetic drugs, push laced with fentanyl, and push across our border. Once it gets our, across our border, I call it the, the, the drug spider web. As, as soon as it gets across the border, it just looks like a spider web. And it goes through the major highways into ed, every major city, town, and the entire country. And each of those areas and each state is divided into geographical regions uh, with the, the drugs go into. And then you have gangs and other criminal operations then that are working with the cartels as part of that sophisticated technique and an organization to then actually distribute the drugs throughout the state and towns and cities. You know, honestly, if they put half of the effort and intelligence and, you know, ingenuity into doing something lawful that they do into doing these illegal things, they, you know, they, they could all be like the next Elon Musk, but they, it's- They could. I, I, I agree with you, Mary. I mean, if they actually took all their skill and influence and power, and actually works with the governor of Mexico to do things, to, to go, do good things, Mexico, I, I think, would stand a chance. You know, but, but here, here's a very important part about Mexico that I really think we need to, 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 to be honest about. They're, they're not our true partners. We, no. we, I think we, we have to stop looking at Mexico as true partners because for a long time they didn't have the political will to go after the cartels because they're one of the most corrupt governments in, in, in the face of the planet. And, but now they don't have the capacity. So they lack both the political will and the capacity to actually do anything about the cartels. And so the, I hope the next president of this of the country has has a really strong meaningful discussion about we have to change how we've been going after the cartels the cartels are an existential threat they are our enemy and we need to go after them with the same whole of government approach tenacity and commitment that we do terrorist organizations well and organized crime right like it, I, it has all the markings of of what you know, the mafia used to be in the United States, right? Yep. And so you don't know who's working in the police force, for example, in Mexico, who might be part of the cartels. They're not stupid. They have their people placed every place. 
And therefore, you know, if, if you're an elected official and you would like not to be assassinated or your children kidnapped or what have you, you will do what they tell you to do, right? And that's why I say, and, and I, the, I subscribe to the, the, the Bill Barr approach that, that he uh, penned an op-ed, I think last year, where he said, we really should look at a planned Columbia style um, approach where we actually used uh, very surgical precision kinetic military operations in conjunction with the host country to go after the cartels. Because the traditional criminal prosecutorial approach that we've used to go after the, the cartels for the past 30 years has failed. The only thing that's happened is they become more powerful and influential. And so we've got to change our strategy. So that right. so when I say like secure the border, there's a lot of things we need to do with respect to policy and enforcement of the law and resources, but our border will never be secure totally as long as the cartel still exist. Right, 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 right. Well, let, let me just pivot for a second sure. here. I want to ask you about sanctuary cities. What do you think about that designation? Is it just kind of political theater? Um, our, I mean, Chicago is a sanctuary city and we're overwhelmed. We cannot absorb one more migrant here, yet they continue to come on planes and buses every single day. I just think the whole designation, it's been, a, again, it's a lot of political theater. It's a lot of virtue signaling. And at the end of the day, it just hurts the people who believe they can come here uh, because of the designation that this city has, you know, elected officials have brought upon itself. Um, but it's so harmful to the overall unified effort of the country. Um, yep. what's, what's your thoughts on that? I agree with what you just said. It's pure kabuki theater. It's pure virtue signaling. I mean, l let's take New York. You could, you could even overlay Chicago on this, right? I mean, Mayor Adams, he ran on Sanctuary City, and he was all about virtue signaling. Oh, we welcome everybody. And now what he's saying? A quote, this is going to destroy New York. We're being overrun. He's asking for more taxpayer money. I mean, I could go on and on. So wait a minute, wait a minute. You are all for, we'll, we'll take anybody in. But when it actually happens, then you're like, wait a minute, th this is crazy. We can't handle that. So that just shows you that it is virtual signaling. Similar things are happening in Chicago, right? They're trying to, to bust people in other uh, areas. And, and the people are saying, no, not in my area. And they're right. right. And this just goes to, th this is just a microcosm of this strategies, uh, uh, this, this administration's strategy, right? It's one of incentivizing. So you've got an administration that's telling the entire world now is the time to come, but then you have cities within our country saying, and once you come, come to our cities, right? Because we're going to give you all this free stuff. So it goes back to the question you started with. Yeah, a lot of these people, they get uh, their, their hopes from some of these sanctuary cities. You've got politicians, you've got, quote, leaders that are actually saying, we're going to give you X, Y, Z. In New York, for a long time, they were putting them up in hotels that were charging $400 a night. That gets back. Guess what? The, the, the poor, vulnerable migrants, and I put that in air quotes, they've got cell phones. They're talking yep. to their buddies in, in yep. you name it, whatever country, saying, hey, I just landed in New York. First of all, I illegally entered. I got to a shelter. They gave me free food, free clothing, and a free plane ticket to New York. And I got to New York, and they put me up in a $400 a night hotel. Come on yep. in. This is great. Yep. Right? Yeah. No, I mean, we, we've seen the same thing in Chicago, yep. at least the first wave of people. They're at the former Ditka's, you know, hotel and restaurant on Chicago's Magnificent Mile. They were given, you know, ones with small children were given like $300 strollers for their for their yep. kids. I mean, they're, you know, and again, you see the resentment 
from the poorer working class neighborhoods in Chicago saying, wait a second, I couldn't afford 12 hours in a hotel like that, much right. less, you right. know, a month at a time being paid for by taxpayers. And to your point, too, uh, I'll go back to, to, to New York. They're already talking about tax cuts, right? I mean, I, I mean, funding cuts. They're already talking about because they, they've had like $700 million in overcharge charges uh, by NYPD. And they're actually talking about cutting salaries of NYPD officers and stop hiring new NYPD classes. Uh, because they're bleeding money. And this goes right. back to our, our original point about illegal immigration versus legal immigration. A country that's actually, the, and think about this. So, so in Chicago, you see it. What is humane and what is Amer the, the American way now when you have migrants that are sleeping on sidewalks and tents because there's no room at the end anymore? That's absurd. Right. That's why I go back to the lawful process of which we have a system where we can only handle so many at a time. That is legitimate. That's an honest system, right. Right? right? And that's what's best for our country, first and foremost, but it's also what's most effective for the migrants, that we're able to let them come in illegally, we know who they are, and then we actually have a system that's going to be able to sustain the numbers we're allowing in. I don't know right. why that doesn't make sense to people. Right now at the border, we usually see a, a downturn in the number right. of uh, illegal aliens because of the cold. That's not happening right now. The past three days, we've hit or, or exceeded 9,000. 9,000 a day come to our southwest border. No, it's, it's you can't, you know, just get your head around the numbers yeah. because they're so big. And I think sometimes people are thinking, no, it couldn't be, couldn't be 9,000 people coming through. So what is the process now um, when, when migrants, they you know, they see them walking across the water or not across yep. the water, but through the water into yep. the, into the country and they come in, what happens to them? They're not here legally. They don't have papers. What is the process? Yep. So right now, the, the Border Patrol's mission has fundamentally been transformed from a law enforcement national security mis uh, mission to a processing mission. And so okay. right now, the overwhelming majority, I think the last couple of months, it's been close to 65% of those that are coming across, they're going to be uh, apprehended by the Border Patrol, they're going to be brought in a processing center, and they're going to be uh, asked for basic information. And then within 12 to 36 hours, the majority of them are actually released into the United States. If you're a single adult or your family, you're literally just released out into the streets of the local community where shelters are available. Then shelters take over from there, Mary. And the shelters, by the way, they're subsidized by DHS by taxpayer dollars. So they'll go into a, they'll go into a shelter. They're going to give clothes, food, and then this is what's going to happen. The shelter is going to ask the, the 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 individual who just recently illegally entered the United States without any documentation at all. They're going to say, "Where would you like to go?" Uh, right. Montana, uh, New York, Chicago. Right. No problem. Here's your plane ticket. Right. Yeah. And that's what's been, I, I, my understanding is, at least in San, the Catholic Charities of San Antonio has been chartering planes yes. for migrants. And I think, you know, there's this impression, and I think this is something the Biden administration is trying to keep alive in people's minds, that this is like mean Governor Abbott just putting people on planes not knowing where they're going. 
And that is not the case. I mean, the, the, the state obviously has some role, but for the most part, it's charitable organizations who are saying, sure, we'll help you. You, you want to go somewhere? We'll help you. You know, it, you have family it, and, it is. and, you know, and Des Moines, I, Iowa, we'll help you get there. And I'll tell you what, Chicago, New York, D.C., L.A., doesn't matter. You, and what you're seeing right now is actually only a small portion of the illegal aliens that are coming to your city. There's a large amount that already have a system in place. Uh, that that they're not reliant on shelters. Uh, that that's right. happening uh, every every single day. So let's go real quick because you mentioned Governor Abbott. Here's one of the biggest lies out here. First of all, the state has no role uh, in, in in enforcing the borders right now with respect to illegal immigration. So right now they they can't stop somebody from illegal entering. They're they're trying to right now. They're trying to pass some laws. Governor the Abbott's state law enforcement things. has no authority at the border of Mexico in the state of Texas. Co- or co- correct. They okay. they they. They cannot enforce federal immigration law, period. So if someone okay. illegally enters the Southwest border, all they can do is apprehend them and turn them over to Border Patrol, who then subsequently processes them and releases them in the United States because that's their mandate. But okay. uh, so I, I tell you, though, and so so what happens, you know, when, when somebody uh, uh, comes across uh, the Mary, here, here's what happens, too. I love it when the secretary says, well, we vet everybody. That is one, I tell you, that's one of the things that my head explodes. It's an outright lie. And let me give you just one example. So in the past 36 months, they've apprehended 269 uh, 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 individuals from Lebanon. Lebanon. And, and oh, I don't know. There's, there's a small terrorist organization, <laughs> Hezbollah. That yeah. Right, right. And so think about that. And the majority of them are single adult males. So you take a, a single adult male, say 30 years old, that come from, came from Lebanon with no documentation, illegally enters our border, and we stop him and say, okay, who are you? He gives him a name. Where are you from? Lebanon. Oh, well, okay, you're a special interest alien because we know a terrorist organization operates in Lebanon. And so they ask him, are you a terrorist? Oh, no, I'm not a terrorist. Okay, hold on a second. Let me reach out to Lebanon and ask them, hey, is this guy a terrorist? Oh, no, he's all good. Go ahead and let him into the country. I mean, that's just stupid, but that is what is actually happening every single day on our Southwest border. We are letting yeah. people into the country. We have no idea who they are. We have no idea to properly vet what their background is, what their allegiance is, or whether they intend to do any harm to this country or not, but yet we are letting them in our country every single day. It's it's just, it's sheer, it's like the definition of insanity, right? Just it, keep it, doing the same thing over and over again. Um, well, what about, let me just talk to you about another class of Im- immigration and immigrants. Um, so people who come in, they cross the border legally, but then they overstay their visas. So, it, you know, sometimes that's for school or travel or what have you. Um, is is How is that as an issue? Is that something that's manageable? Is it more... Um, is it easier for the government to track because the people are here with some kind of tracking mechanism already sort of attached to their person? Yeah, so th- that's a good point. There's a distinction. So yes, we know more about that individual, right? So, okay. but but the issue is once they overstay their visa, at finding them and locating them can sometimes be just as difficult, right? right. Because generally someone that's going to overstay their visa uh, they're not going to give a legitimate address, right? So they can yeah. easily be found. They abscond. Right. And the problem, though, is we have a finite number of resources. So unless we have some additional derogatory information on the, on that individual, they're not going to be a priority. 
Um, they're going to be way on the, the bottom of the totem pole as far as priorities right. to go because our system is so overwhelmed. We have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that are here on visa overstays, and we have millions and millions of those that are here just plain illegally outside of the visa process. Our system yeah. is completely overwhelmed. I mean, it's been just kind of my observation that unless then they're picked up for something else illegally, you know, that's the only way we, we catch them. They're drunk driving or they, you know, they get into yep. some kind of accident and then their status gets revealed. So so that 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 would have been um, that I, I would have said that would have been normally the way it was even under a previous Democratic administration, but not this administration. So uh, let me give you an example. Secretary Myricus, this is one reason why many, this man, I, I, I think what he's doing is actually criminal and he should be impeached. Yeah. But right now, you could be in the country illegally. You could, uh, you could commit another nonviolent crime. You'd be picked up by a local PD. So look, for example, you could be a, a known gang member that was arrested for a burglary of a motor vehicle. They're, that local sheriff's department is going to call ICE up and say, hey, I have a known illegal alien that we just arrested for a burglary of a motor vehicle. You know what ICE is going to tell him, Mary? Nope, not a priority. He's not a convicted mm. violent criminal. Go ahead and release him back to the community. That's what's happening every day, all day long under this administration. Yeah, and they know it. And I mean, and the it. criminals know it. They, they know, know they're not going to be um, taken into custody. Correct. They know they're not going to get deported. Well, what? where is this coming? Is this from Biden himself directly? Where is this coming from? Who's Who's driving the bus here? Yeah, that's another great question. I some some of it. I, I try hard to, to stay away from speculation. What 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 I would refer to this though is kind of a, a, an educated uh, a conclusion based on what I see. When I hear President Biden talk about the border, in my opinion, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just reading okay. a cue card, and I, I I get that from the the limited questions and answers that go back and forth, and his answers he doesn't always talk about. So what I think is is that it's it's a it's a a, a limited number of political appointees that are actually calling the shots and developing the policy. And I actually talked yeah. to people like former Chief Rodney Scott of United States Border Patrol, who was there for the first seven months of the Biden administration, who he said when he was there. A, a, a guy that was a career border patrol agent for almost 30 years, they would just dismiss him. Uh, the political appointees wouldn't even listen to him. A lot of times he wasn't even included in meetings. And so it's a political appointees that are crafting the majority of the policy uh, going forward. Mm, and then, of course, right. you have Secretary Mayorkas is the one that's actually implementing yeah. it. Oh my gosh, like with this combination, what could possibly go wrong, right? I mean, exactly. look, you just you can't even, like you're, anyway, but um, so, you know, I, I know, again, from my own experience as a first generation American, it was very important for my parents to assimilate. And they always told us kids, you are Americans. And that was very important to them that we knew about this country and we learned to love this country. And um, it, it's been my uh, also my experience that a lot of, I think, younger people aren't taught civics in the same way Correct. and probably couldn't pass the, the basic civics test my mom and dad had to pass to become citizens. Um, what Do you know anything about the, the current way new immigrants who are coming legally and are doing everything the right way, how they are educated about the American political system and, and the American yeah. way of life? It's it's pretty good. Uh, oh, actually. good. I'm glad to hear yeah, that. They, okay. they actually, they still have to take a test and and, yes. and, and, and swear an oath and allegiance to, to, to America and the Constitution. And they have to take a test, quite frankly, that I agree with you, that I think a lot of Americans that were born in America probably couldn't pass. 
Yes. Um, so, but at the same time, I, I think we can have an honest discussion about how we can improve the legal immigration process. I think that is a very worthwhile debate to have. But again, as we started, that's separate and apart from illegal immigration and border security and national security going forward. I can tell you right now, people, a lot of people don't realize that the illegal aliens coming across now, they they don't care about assimilation, Mary. No, they don't. Right. They want, no, they, I agree with you. Right? Yep. They, they want five things. They want to be released in the country illegally with no consequences. They want to work illegally, send money home, uh, and and uh, uh, bring uh, free be free from deportation and bring family members. That's it. Right. The, there's no assimilation there. In fact, if you if you ask the illegal aliens of today. If we give you those five things, but you're never going to receive amnesty, you're never going to receive citizenship, they'd be like, no problem, I'll take it. Right. Well, guess what? Right. The Biden administration is giving that to them right now, every yeah. single day. We've had, literally, we've had pictures of, of massive groups of illegal aliens rushing our border, carrying their country's flag. Yep. Yeah, that, you know, and that to me, that's so hard because I think of somebody like my dad who had to like... He had to put a thing in his British passport to show and and sign something that if, you know, God forbid America ever goes back to war with Great Britain, that he would fight on the American side. And that was a big thing for him. Sure it you was. know, that was but he said, No, I'm I am an American now, and that is a promise I have to make. And they took it so seriously. And but they think, should. Wow. I mean, I mean to, yeah. to, to to bring somebody into our nation and say you are now an American, there should be some allegiance attached to that. Right. But at the right. same time, at the same time, th this is the, th this is where the creation of the country uh, really began, in my, in my opinion, is, is that, yes. So when you come, you, you pledge allegiance to this country, but you still hold on to your heritage. That's right. right? Yeah. That's the success of the melting right. pot. That, that, but, but it's not a melting pot when you come in from another country and you don't assimilate to America. You're right. not melting right. into anything. Right? right, that's right. the problem. No, you can and that's come from Ireland and still right. celebrate St. Patrick's Day exactly. and be be just as much an American as the Ita your Italian next door neighbor or your Polish upstairs neighbor or that's what right. have you. That's right. Um, so when when President Trump ran in 2016, he did so on a platform where he he hoped to bring some of the big corporations that have left America to bring them back. Right, and um, he didn't want to see the outsourcing. That, that we're seeing at the level that we're seeing it in. And, um, you know, but we know that at least one of the stated reasons that so many American companies are opening facilities outside the U.S. is because our immigration policies are making it really hard for them to kind of get the workers that they need to make their companies profitable. So, mm -hmm. you know, that only makes sense. You got to go where you can make money. Um, and they wanted to be able to hire an adequate number of skilled workers so how um, how does the immigration policy just kind of overall address, you know, and, and the Trump administration, administration seems to have done this well, where it acknowledges that that's a problem and it, it seems to it tries to meet it at least. Right. Um, did you have did you have any part in that kind of, um, you know, uh, process or discussing process with people who were your peers in, in I know your your particular work was a little bit different, but right. did so, you see the immigration issue changing because of that while you were doing yeah, your particular job for the yeah, Trump and here's, administration? And here, this is a very good, good, good question, a good one to kind of end on, Mary, is that because this is where I really get fired up against Republicans as well, right? Because here's what a lot of Republicans will do. They'll say, no, stop coming, stop coming, right? And they'll sit there and they'll say, we're strong, we're for strong border security, uh, but they're doing this uh, behind closed doors. Why? Because they want the cheap labor, right? right. 
And again, what, what I'll say is that goes back again to illegal immigration. I understand. And, I, I, and, and I've, I've talked to many people on Capitol Hill that we need workers and we need uh, immigrant workers. Okay, I think everybody agrees with that. So let's sit down in a room and talk about how we can get the workers we need at a living wage legally. Right. But what happens is, is because it's a lot easier just to say, oh, no, stop coming, stop coming. Right. right. And that's what the Republicans do. They're, they're embedded with the Chamber of Commerce because it gives them a ton of money. Right. They have a lot of constituents in some of their uh, 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 areas that, that have large corporations that hire illegal aliens. And think about this, too. This is the thing yeah. that frustrates me. When a company hires an illegal alien, some of these companies, what do you think they do? Substandard conditions, substandard pay. Right? Yeah. Because they can get away with it. Because what are the right. illegal aliens going to do? They have no right. means or ability to push back. No recourse. Right. Yeah, they that's, have no recourse. That's, and that's, yeah. again, our compassion has been hijacked. That's not the American right. way. So I think, yeah. hey, I'm okay paying for a, a little bit more for milk or whatever it is, as long as we can have individuals that we need to come here lawfully and pay them a decent wage. And then when, when their time is done, whether they're here on a work visa, that they go back and then they come back seasonal, whatever that is, we can do that. But we've got to make yeah. sure... We have that lawful process. We enforce the law, and we stop those that are illegally entering to circumvent the system, get in front of the line, and it's unfair competitive advantage. Yeah. Well, Mark Morgan, thank you for your service to this country and for your forthrightness in this conversation today. I think you've given all of us um, more than enough food for thought, and I, I'm very grateful for your willingness to speak out and um, and the and the compassion and kindness with which you do so. Bet. Thanks, Mary. Thank you for listening. To make it easier for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.